0: This is Coda Radio, episode 316 for July 2nd, 2018. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Why me? Thanks for asking. My name is Chris. That's not what matters. No, what matters is that development monk currently in a perched pose in front of his microphone in Florida is Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike.
1: And the red, the white, and the blue of my text that will remind us that we beat those limey bastards.
0: I, I, You know, I am am so glad you brought that up because I was just filling out the scrapbook last night about this. And this has been on my mind, and I wanted to ask you, are you full, full Floridian Floridian now, if you'll excuse it? Because uh, you were pretty Jersey when I first met you. Have you made that transition now? You identify yourself as a full-fledged F.L.? You know, that's a complicated
1: question, because what is a Floridian? Right. It depends on where you go.
0: I would imagine it's a collection of things over time. You know, like uh, when I was down in Tejas, I met a lot of people who weren't native to Texas, but now consider themselves full Texans. So So at some point, you make that transition. Like at some point, you know, you were a Mac user, and now you're not so much of a Mac user. You've made that transition. Everybody evolves. Everybody Everybody evolves. Well, so,
1: I do wear a, a fedora now and a silk Hawaiian shirt pretty frequently.
0: Really? <laughs>
1: Damn you. Now I, now I
0: have passed you to taunt future you. It's it's so good. I, I hold a unique position of power.
1: <laughs> yes, I do. Had, had you been trolling Twitter, you would have seen a number of photos of me
0: <laughs> yeah, I from did, my actually,
1: vacation this weekend. Apparently, yeah. you're
0: a pirate puzzle-solving um, hero, too, it looked like from the photos. That's was Awesome. Yeah, that looked like that I've was never, a good time.
1: I've I've never done one of those uh what, those escape rooms. And by the way, I have finally found a practical use for AR
0: in oh. escape rooms. Oh really? Did you like measure some stuff? I mean, I was actually assuming. No, was I secret- think I think someone should do that. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. For like clues and stuff, that could be killer. But uh, in this case, it was the wife that got you out of it, wasn't it? I mean, be honest. It was probably all the wife.
1: Yeah, you know, I looked at the pyro skeleton guy. And I'm like. Well, he has some rumble left. Like, just chill with him for a while. Huh?
0: Yeah, I'm good here. You go ahead and figure it out and then come back and get me. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me know. Uh, cool. Well, so let's get to some follow-up because we've got some hoopla that's developing today as we go on the air. We've got a really cool project that we want to tell you about, the Uno platform, uh, which is an open-source project to br- to make a bridge for iOS. But bridge what? Well, that's what you have to wait for. Uh, we have feedback to get into as well as if we have time the seven top reasons after several studies why engineers leave positions in companies. And I want to see if they sync up with uh, with our thoughts. So let's start with the feedback. This one came in from Les, and he wants to make a bold prediction about Microsoft and Electron. Following up on a thread that's been sort of bouncing around our show for a couple of weeks since the GitHub purchase, he says... As you've already noted, Microsoft has been testing some apps with the Electron technology. I think we could see a much larger project migrated to Electron over the coming years. Office. It wouldn't be an overnight switch, but Microsoft, having been building an online version of the suite, already has the base there. By moving it to an Electron app, they wouldn't have to maintain three code bases, Windows, Mac, and Web which would clearly save lots of development resources. Who knows? The move may even bring a version for Linux. Granted, it would use more RAM, but who's counting, right? Let's uh, put into words exactly what I was thinking is I think the the, the first major Microsoft application, like the, the first application that's really core Microsoft that could be big would possibly be Office as an Electron app. And this isn't something I'd even think would happen very soon. But as the Office 360 online version gets more and more complete and more and more competent, it does kind of seem like that might just be the route they take now, especially owning the back-end tech to Electron. What do you think, Mike? Is that a step too far?
1: So I agree that in some distant future, we will have a version of Office written using web technologies. I, now, there was actually a rumor a couple weeks ago that like this was happening now. That's not the case at the moment, according to just like a bunch of people from Microsoft and Twitter. It does seem to me, though, that focusing on Electron itself is kind of missing the point. In a lot of ways, Electron is a shim, right? It's kind of a hack between doing native development and where I think we ultimately need to go, which is, of course, WebAssembly. Mm -hmm. So what what I would more see, and it's funny we mentioned uh, we're going to talk about Project Uno a little bit today, one of the endpoints that Product Uno can compile to is WebAssembly.
0: Web yeah, I know. That is really right. cool.
1: Yeah. So an official Microsoft blush solution for, let's say, taking UWP, which is what Product Uno lets you work on that API, and compiling to WebAssembly would not only be more performant than Electron is currently, but it would completely uh, obviate the need to use Electron at all, which I think is the direction we're going, right? Yeah. And It doesn't have to just be UWP. I'm using that as an example. We talked about this a bit uh, uh, last Monday or yeah, last Monday, that ultimately what you're going to want, if we can somehow pull this off, is WebAssembly to actually just be your target, right? And you can work and develop in whatever tool chain you're most comfortable with, but you'll be compiling to, uh, to a standard, some sort of codified standard of WebAssembly, which currently does exist. It's just not. We're we're very much in the early days, yeah. But yeah, so I, I agree with you, Les. Um, that ultimately I think we are going to have a web powered version of Office. I think Electron is just uh, people are I think a little too obsessed with Electron to be honest with you. I think it's kind of a temporary thing. Don't get me wrong; it's going to be around for a long time. But you know, in three or four years, things are just going to compile to WebAssembly
0: and uh i hope you're uh, right yeah. i would love I that hope i'm right too. yeah boy boy howdy as they say all right well i don't know if we have an answer for this next one but i wanted to put it in the show because this could quite literally be the best question that's ever been sent into the show in the history of the podcast it comes in from robert and get ready for this one he says i've got a coding question i maintain a 1980s radar system for the faa It is a massive software project, almost entirely in C, that we have recently ported to machines running various versions of Linux. I'm currently working on converting it from a 32-serial port subsystem and external communications... ...to an IP-based communication systems in preparation for the TDM circuits no longer being supported by the telecom carriers anymore. One of the items to convert is a curses-based terminal that is used for monitoring and control. I was thinking of converting it to a web-based application. However... I've only worked on this one system for the last 25 years, so what would be your recommendation for frameworks or packages or even languages to check out in order to accomplish this part of the task? What do you? Th- so basically, the core thing you want to do is go from a curses-based terminal to a web application. Okay, so uh,
1: normal huge disclaimer. Whenever you get a question like this, right? I would need to know a lot more about it to be more helpful than I'm going to be. But please do reach out to me, and I'd love to talk to you. So, a web application. There, there is going to be some concerns there. I'm assuming you mean running in the web browser somewhere. By web application, what is your security environment like? Is this just in an intranet, or does this need to actually be publicly accessible via HTTP? What does your data look like coming over? I mean, that's probably less of a concern because you can shove really any data
0: over all kinds of weird protocols right. fine. And what hooks is that C curses application or curses-based application connected into? Is it database? Is it a is it some sort of old IBM uh, messaging platform? Like what Right,
1: how they- proprietary is your existing solution, right? Like is it you, you you know, you mentioned that it's written in C. My first kind of line of thinking would be, well, can we do this as like a modular migration and say? You know, either let's keep it in C++ or, you know, if you've ever been to the Code a subreddit, they will gleefully tell you to do it in Rust um, or even (laughs) Go could even be an option. But I think Rust is probably more on the level that you're talking at here. Or is this kind of, or is the desired outcome here just file a new project, uh, rewrite the whole damn thing from zero?
0: You know, I wonder, being familiar with C as he is, if Rust might not be a great choice in some regards. Well, no, I wasn't kidding. Rust or Go, like, from a language standpoint, are probably great choices. And I
1: I have to imagine you care a lot about performance.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah,
0: I mean. I think the part that you would also need to know more information about is, how is the networking aspect? How did you convert it from serial port communications to IP? And is that where the web application could connect in, or is it? Does it need to be further down the stack? And and that is the key question. And that might lead you to which framework you end up using, or what packages you install in the backend. I mean, it is barbaric, but at the end of the day, you could write a PHP script that just runs terminal commands, or you could go to something much more sophisticated, uh, which connects in more at the networking level. So it, yeah. that really, I think, drives everything every every next step he takes but what a fascinating problem and the whole fact that it, it, this is really happening not because it's so ancient but because the telecoms are just sick of running the tdm circuits and they're just shutting them down
1: <laughs> yeah it, it, it's interesting right because you also have all this legacy and you have to sit down and figure out okay is this actually what we want or it's just like you know almost two decades or over two decades of legacy and Maybe we just need to like rethink this entire architecture. Oh, I'm sure That's he'd a love to. That's a huge question. Right? Right? He'd probably love. Well, to. <laughs> but but is is that something that can actually be done? Because yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, one thing, like Nemo correctly in the chat room is saying, this is exactly the use case that Russ is uh, intended for. That's true. But can, for his use, can he really like go to his employer and pitch a rewrite? It sounds like something this large, you would want a more. I kind of want to say a transitional, like a, a slower transition mm. to a new solution. Or, I don't know, I mean, it has been since the 80s, so lots changed, right? <laughs> you might want to take it back to the studs. Like, in, in particular, are your your communication protocols and your data formats, are they like that because they were designed in the 80s? Right. Or are they like that because they're, well, were designed in the 80s, right. but are they communicating with other systems that were also designed in the 80s and you need to keep that? Right. Because if this is just a system that can stand by itself, then, yeah, you could you could go right back to the drawing board. Russ would be a fabulous choice for that. And just, hell, architect a new system.
0: Yeah, that would be a great opportunity. What a, I bet that uh, would feel the great. Green,
1: the green fairy <laughs> yeah. of the rewrite. Right,
0: <laughs> which later becomes your kingdom which imprisons you. But at least in the beginning, right. it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're wondering what's going to happen, just
1: read the uh, tale of uh, Aladdin and the Lamp from uh, Yeah, yeah the Thousand exactly. and One Nights. Yeah.
0: So there's a bit of hoopla developing that I think we should get to just because it's kind of developing right now on Twitter, which is a weird statement to make. But you can actually watch a story begin to build momentum. Hang on, Chris. We have to pause. My iMac just kernel. Yeah, right. That's (laughs) what it is. It seems that there is at least a high degree of people complaining today about the iMac Pro. Yeah, that that one that starts at five thousand dollars is experiencing bridge OS kernel panics, which then cause the operating system of the Mac OS operating system to restart. So quick recap if you don't recall, there is an iOS chip in the Mac Pro that handles boot verification, um, rating, and uh, key, key store value for like uh, encryption keys and things like that. It's uh, They call it like... Do uh, you remember what they called it? They called it something new for the iMac Pro, but it's basically like the T1 chip in the MacBook Pro, but just a little bit more evolved and now responsible for data I.O. And it appears that the bridge that links these two operating systems is crashing. And when that bridge goes down the whole OS goes down on the Mac side. And so there has been a couple of uh, form threads started on Apple support communities couple of prominent uh, Apple developers, outside Apple, but people that develop for the Apple platform, started complaining this morning. And now uh, people are starting to collate all of the different complaints from different sources into one spot. And It appears to be a fairly wide-ranging issue, not necessarily affecting everyone, but it, it, it affects people who are using the stock operating system from Apple or people who have done a fresh install, completely wiped, loaded the latest stuff, and then just started from there. They're also experiencing the crashes. And it appears right. to have been happening for a while but it's building as the inventory people who own these is building out in the wild which makes sense
1: and, and to be clear this is a a standard uh, stable mac os problem this is not like people who've installed mojave and are screwing around having this issue right and uh so you know what really kind of chaps my ass about this whole thing i'm sitting here in front of a black box called the dell optiflex that is all they needed to make they could have literally bought a bunch from Dell, slapped a little Apple sticker over the Dell logo,
0: just let it run Mac. Yeah, they could have they they could have done a lot of things. They they could they could revive the 2015 MacBook Pro and, and call it the MacBook Pro oh, Media the, the, Edition the, or something. You know, they
1: could right, this is on the heels too, right? Of the of the mass. Oh, and by the way, my keyboard doesn't work again. But luckily I won't get a, get sassed at the genius bar for the hundredth time.
0: They could have they could have refreshed the cheese grater if they really wanted to. That's just not their style. Uh, and the, the, the it's like they overshot a bit with this. When I first heard about this, my thought was, hmm, a brand new chip that's going to be in control of grade striping um, across SSDs. Well, that's probably going to be fast, but... Essentially, what they've done is they've taken software RAID and boiled it down to an iOS system to manage the disk for my Mac. And I'm more a fan of the ZFS approach, where ZFS is fully aware from top to bottom, from kernel to the, to the platters, right. what, what's going on. You don't hide anything from the operating system.
1: See, one of my problems here is Apple seems very in love with this, we're going to design a proprietary chip to this functionality rather than doing software. And, you know, one of the reasons you might not want to do that is if something goes wrong, you now have a hardware problem, and you have to lug a 27-inch uh, iMac to the Apple store. Right. That you paid over $5,000 for a minimum.
0: Yeah, and I would argue that this isn't necessarily even a bad idea long term, but the the better place to do it would be actually, in my opinion, on the consumer iMac. And uh, the professional side of the equipment— Really? Why? Well, I feel like it's a lot like how disk Linux distributions work. You've got Linux distributions that are meant for playing around, you know, and just dorking around with Linux. And then you've got distributions that are slow, steady, and predictable. And the professional line from Apple should be predictable, and it should be slow and steady, incremental improvements. The problem is they're so far behind right now, they can't really take that luxury. But I'll give you an example. Imagine a scenario years down the road after Apple's kind of gotten through their current mires with the Mac, whatever their core issue is. Let's say you're five years down the road, and now Apple has been releasing a new MacBook Pro at every WWDC for three years. Once a year, the iMac Pro gets an update. Once a year, the Mac Pro, the new Mac Pro, modular Mac Pro gets an update. let us They just get on a yearly cadence, not even because maybe there is some huge change in the Intel chip, Maybe one year they're able to go from 16 gigs to 32 gigs. Maybe the next year they're able to integrate that faster controller after having ran it for a few years on the consumer side, where a system failure is much less expensive. A system failure on a professional system is really kind of unacceptable. That's why you're paying the additional money for the pro moniker, because it's supposed to be pro grade, enterprise grade. It's supposed to be able to handle extreme workloads. But now it turns out, simply a, a an OS crash on an embedded chip which causes a bridge to fail can bring down my entire workstation environment, including whatever projects they may have open at the time. That's not really an acceptable Pro workstation. But if they had iterated that out on the consumer side, maybe even shipped a couple of versions on the 5K iMac, and and then were able to bring it over to the iMac Pro after it had been battle-tested for a couple of years, it would almost be a sure bet. The issue is, is that it brings cost up on the consumer version. But it's how it should be done, and I would argue it's how old Apple used to do this.
1: I mean, I guess if you were hell-bent on doing something like this, that is a much less obnoxious way to do it. Yeah. But I, I still can't, like, get over the the mental hurdle of your customers, even your most loyal customers, which Chris and I are not, right? Let's be fair, but have been very loudly and, uh, frankly, consistently for, for a few years now asking you to do something very relatively simple, right? Build me a box with lots of ram, an nvidia card, and some don't even want the nvidia card. Um and and let it be an apple box, make it nice, whatever, and run macOS on it. Yeah. And they just won't do it, right? Like the like see to me this is going all the way back to the trash can MacBook. Um sorry, the trash can Mac Pro where people, myself included, got all excited when they heard new Mac Pro. Then you looked at it and it was like uh, what the hell is this? You know, iMac Pro could be great. I'm sure once they work out these kinks, it will be a great machine. But again, like you're not doing what I would argue your most important because they're the ones building that huge platform called iOS that you make all your money on, have asked you to do. And I'm having a really hard time, uh, which is why I really don't use Macs anymore. Also the keyboard's busted on my MacBook Pro again, so yay understanding why why they just won't do it and, and it's, it's, it's not a can't right it, it, it's a won't
0: yeah 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 because they could have they could easily make a, a, an updated version of the 2015 macbook pro they could just say it's the uh media media creation edition it goes up to 32 gigs of ram it's thicker it has the old keyboard doesn't have the touch bar um and it would be great and i uh, we, I'll move on, but I just had a recent conversation with a fellow podcaster who's like, I can't buy a Mac. I, I get errors at 16 gigs of Ram in my editing software and it's asking, it's telling me I need, because my projects are so large because they're multiple hour long projects. It's telling me I have to get more Ram and I literally can't get more than 16 gigs in a laptop from Apple.
1: I, I can give you a worse anecdote and then, then we can move on because I know people hate this stuff because I no longer live close to an Apple store. My $3,000 MacBook pro is just sitting on a shelf, not being used. Because it's not worth the hour and a half drive to get it to an Apple store, to wait, have them hold it either overnight or however long they need to hold it, and then drive back to pick it up again when I could just work on my Dell tower and my uh, Galago.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> I'll tell you. So I got. I got. I got a way to wrap this up. And maybe. The, maybe we'll just leave it at this. The iMac Pro issues are most likely software issues that Apple can issue a firmware. Don't update. buy one yet. That's. <laughs> well, yeah, perhaps right. But it's not like this is an insurmountable issue. It kind of goes back to that whole core premise, though, that I've been working on about how they're not really computer enthusiasts anymore. And so they don't really know how to build computers for serious professionals who use really specced out machines as part of their tool set to do their job. But anyways, let's move on. I'll tell you why I'm glad. I'm really glad it's worked out this way. As much kavutsing as we've done. I'm actually extremely glad. I'll tell you why, but first, I got to tell you about Linux Academy because they got some big stuff going on right now. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's the one with the yes. You go there to support the show and you sign up for a free seven day trial. However, I think it's worth mentioning that Linux Academy also has a community edition, something I haven't mentioned a lot here on the program. And I'm mentioning it today because they're rolling out a bunch of really great new courses to the free edition of Linux Academy. Now, you can go sign up and get a community membership for a limited time and get access to this courseware. I'll I'll throw a couple out there that I like a lot. AWS Concepts, uh, Mastering System D, Building Linux from Scratch, the LPI Linux Essentials. That's all going in the community version there. Google App Engine Deep Dive, Docker Deep Dive, Building a Serverless Chatbot with Lex, and AWS Certified Cloud Practitioner are all in the Community Edition as well. For a limited time, when you go to linuxacademy.com coder, you can sign up for the Community Edition and get access to the free courseware. It's another great way to try out the platform. In July, they're launching 150 plus new challenges and courseware and all kinds of content to help you learn. Lots of stuff, including some new deep dives into security. And to that end, they're also looking for new course authors that might know a bit about security or even BSD. So go check out Linux Academy, if that might be you. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get started. And then stay tuned for their big announcement in July and try out that free community edition with really good content coming for a limited time if you sign up. I think that's totally worth it. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Just super briefly so we can move on to sort of conclude our uh, hardware discussion. I'm really glad it happened this way that Apple dropped the ball. And the reason why I'm glad Apple dropped the ball is because it forced my hand to move on to something else. Like, I just ended up having to find something to replace Audition, and I had to find something to replace Wirecast. I was more motivated on the Wirecast one, and I've ended up in a solution where I I, have—I'm so happy. I'm still months into it. It's been—I made this switch to Kubuntu 18.04 when it shipped— Uh, in April. And um, I am just as thrilled about it today as I was back in April. And uh, it's just held up so well. The, The studio was rock solid, flawless while I was on the road. Every single show I did for a month on the road was routed through the studio. Every computer had to be functioning correctly. The mixer had to be working correctly. OBS, every system had to be functioning correctly because we were routing all of the audio through the studio. And so that meant all of the machines were getting used as if I was here every single day recording shows, plus the systems in the RV, all of it Kubuntu, all of it flawless for the entire month I was on the road. I didn't have to I didn't have to have anybody come in and like log a system back in or reboot it, uh, didn't even have to close the web browsers or the application Reaper I was using to record. Every application, every process was flawless. It won't always be like this, I'm sure. You know, updates happen, applications get updated, things like that. But I am in such a good place right now with the tools I use to do my job after what feels like a really solid year and change of fighting this stuff and really looking at, like, business leases for Macs just to, like, just go get a lease and buy a couple of Macs and just be done with it, you know, just be done with But their lack of decent hardware and this obvious fumbling of the ball kept that off of my plate. I never could fully consider that option. And so I had no choice but to focus and double down on this solution. And now I'm on the other end of it. And I'm thankful that Apple screwed up because if they had been nailing it for the last couple of years, I may have been tempted just to roll out a couple expensive IMAX and say, all right, I'm good. I'm done with it. But instead, I found something that I'm much happier with that gives me much more flexibility. And I feel like um, is much more in tune with my needs as a user. So there you go. That's why I think it, in the end it tur- it turned out pretty good. Good enough, capish? Good. Capish. You want? Even though we were gonna have uh, we were gonna have one of the uh, developers behind the Uno platform join us today. I think though he's in France and the time zone didn't work out. So why don't we just take a moment and just tell the folks listening about the Uno platform, which you can find at platform u n o, and it lets you build native apps for mobile and the web using XAML and C Sharp, and it's a free bridge for iOS, Android, and like Mike said earlier, WebAssembly, which I'm particularly excited about. This seems like a really, really nice solution, particularly for some of the stacks that you've dabbled in from time to time, it would seem. Yeah,
1: so so an interesting thing that kind of led me to finding these guys um, was one I'm you know I'm a big fan of open source projects. I'm not huge in like buying co- proprietary software components from people uh, because I think it's not great for lots of reasons. So I was looking for something that is an easier bridge uh, between particularly iOS and Windows because uh, as you know listeners will know I've been doing quite a lot of win- uh, C sharp development and basically Windows development work. Um, but also needing to run a cross-platform. And this is actually a pretty clever uh, clever solution they have. The idea is, on its basic level, your interface, right, your API you're programming to, is uh, vanilla UWP for the most part. Um, and then it's, I think, the most recent. So it's whatever the quote unquote creators update UWP is. And it cross-compiles it under the hood using Xamarin for iOS and Android and some crazy stuff for WebAssembly. One of the hugest features, I think, is actually like, this is one of the first and most interesting uh, solutions making my WebAssembly dreams come true, where you're writing XAML, which for those who don't know, haven't worked in uh, any kind of like Microsoft technologies or Xamarin. XAML is kind of like like an XML document format language. Um, Let me change that, layout format language. If you're familiar with native Android development, where it uses uh, XAML files for layouts, it's like that XAML is basically XML-ish, right? It comp—it it transpiles your XAML into your web UI in WebAssembly. So you are not screwing around with CSS uh-huh. and, and any of that crap. You're writing your XAML just like you are for your, your uh, UWP client and for your uh, iOS client. Wow. And it's just becoming HTML5.
0: Huh. And there's, that must have some limitations. Like, they, they could have only created so many possible UI elements, right? There must be some limits there, but that's fascinating.
1: So, yeah, the the, uh, the WebAssembly, I, I believe, is still in beta, but they actually have right online, you can uh, just try it. They have a uh, playground.platform.uno. You can literally try it right there, and it has all the standard UWP components. And it just, there, it just converts into what the uh, what it would look like on the web.
0: <laughs> That's cool. All right, I'm going to go give it a go. That's pretty nice. I, uh, I'll i drop links to some of the stuff here in the show notes, too, because I think uh, this is something people want to check out. Huh. And so did you, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even have to log in. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to give them any information. You don't have to log in at all. Oh, that is really cool. I think a few people in the chat room were banging on it, too. And did you have a chance to kick the tires on this?
1: I did kick the tires on this. I played with the playground thing a little bit, but I went ahead and because I have been working on Windows 10 for right. the last few weeks, uh-huh. uh, I set it up in Visual Studio with their project template. I mean, it like any kind of third party tooling, you do you know there's a little bit of integration work there to get it going, but it's it's not bad at all. And once you're set up, you're you're writing UWP. If you've ever written a UWP app or as i know it WinRT. rt right don't 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 say WinRT rt because people from microsoft will tell you it's not the same thing but guess what it's uh, very similar really so, <laughs> thank you i <laughs> my new favorite soundboard yeah, yeah yeah so it's honestly like it reminds me of xamarin in its early days where you know it's op- it's open source uh they're not charging for it which is pretty cool But this is the kind of thing where you could see Microsoft letting it develop a bit and then saying, hmm, Mm -hmm. why don't you come over here? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for that if we can further my uh, WebAssembly dominance of the world, which
0: is what I want. looks pretty slick. It looks like it's really well put together. They must have a team behind them, too, because the website's great. The whole thing looks like it's really in depth. There is momentum here, my friend. I'll tell you what. Isn't that interesting?
1: Oh, well, there is. And of course it's C Sharp. Oh, he's in so Montreal. Kind of oh, okay. Montreal and in good old French Canadia.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. You That's get, what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's I thought you the get name all the joys French. Yeah. You get all the joys of uh, async away and some of the goodies uh the C Sharp platform. And you know what one interesting side thing I found during the ad when I was some if somebody sent it to me.
0: Hmm.
1: This is a complete side note. Have you ever played Magic the Gathering?
0: Mm, I've never played it myself, but familiar with it, obviously.
1: Well, you know they launched, uh, Wizards of the Coast, company who makes it, yeah. launched a, uh, a an online game, I think it's called. And someone, please right. correct me in the chat room, Magic Arena or something like that. Okay. They're using Kubernetes, Docker, and .NET Core. <laughs> uh, of course they so are. So if, you, if you're at Wizards of the Coast and you're a listener of this show, <laughs> yeah, right? you, you basically just hit the Coder radio hat trick right there.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. That's, it, it, I think that's yeah, going to be a more and more common stack. I bet you it's more and more common than we know now.
1: I think it is. I, th- I think a larger story, uh, both with platform Uno and and just th- these random uh, postings I've been seeing, is how more and more uh, technologies that are either Microsoft technologies or either heavily supported by Microsoft mm. are now coming over to be pretty, I would say, pretty standard uh, for being deployed on Linux.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is great. I'm still playing around with their editor. Holy crap, man!
1: Yeah, this is, and, that, and that's just the web editor. As you yeah. can imagine, yeah. if you use it in Visual Studio, it's a lot better.
0: This yeah. is great, and now I have just copied that snippet to my to my clipboard. Well, uh, if we get a chance to sync up, uh, I think it's Jerome. Uh, we will uh, chat more. Maybe get him on the show. Uh, so I'm glad that he's just he's in Quebec. So we should be able to manage. We should be able to navigate uh, those time zone challenges. It shouldn't be too bad. It's a little more epic to say he's uh, in France, but uh, we could just pretend because he may have a bit of a French
1: accent. S- so we- Sometimes if I'm in French Canada, I kind of think I'm in France. That's yeah. my fault.
0: I think that's Which, what they want yeah. you to think. I think they're okay. trying to trick us. They know us Americans come up there and like, let's see if we can fool them. Just- <laughs> <that what> they-
1: <laughs> well, they- now he's
0: never coming on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Shoot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was just my ignorance there. I, I, I mean, no offense. No offense intended. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, uh, anything else on Uno you want to mention as we're warming up to it? Seems pretty neat. Seems nice.
1: No, I'm going to continue playing with it because I'm actually working the super secret .NET project I'm currently doing.
0: You and your Windows is, 10 ways.
1: know, I got to be honest with you. My Dell Optiplex oh, okay. doesn't kernel panic. Oh, okay. I'm going to... No, and I, uh, I still think the Windows subsystem for Linux is basically useless, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. Just, just I hope, give, I me, it give me a one. native.
1: Oh, if they gave me a native Bash terminal that actually connected to the file system in a way that made sense. Yeah. Instead of being a so yeah, that yeah. would be a problem. First
0: thing you got to do is you've got to replace that old Command Prompt CMD. You got to get rid of that, and you got to go get a new terminal because it's so old, it's so antiquated. That's they've really got to fix that now.
1: It's weird that it still exists.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a it is a relic of a time when users on Windows did not take their terminal as seriously as they do now, and they need
1: PowerShell up- is is really good if you haven't been using Batch for over ten years. It's
0: just that whole Command Prompt application is just garbage. It's just ancient yeah. garbage. You can replace it. You know, you can get like a proper uh, accelerated terminal that looks really good on Windows. They have them. I I don't remember what mine was.
1: Well, but- you know. Who knows? I mean, the next version of Ubuntu could be sponsored by Microsoft. I'm just saying Canonical, Microsoft, merger, let it happen. Hey It's and and it's outside the US, so you don't pay no taxes. You know why
0: that you know that would buy you know why that would be a truly great move for Microsoft? Is because Canonical has been really successful on VPSs and, and containers. Like Ubuntu is everywhere there. Uh, and it would give them an instant in to a lot of other infrastructures if they could do that. Like DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash coder no s on this one to get a 100 credit and this is the best deal in infrastructure because they have super fast ssds on all of their rigs 40 gigabit connections coming to them hypervisors data centers all over the world and they manage to make it all usable with a slick simple ui and they have team account functionality which is great especially like for me when i'm working with a Group of audience members who maybe are setting up, say, like a peer tube server for us right now, I can give them control over certain droplets. It's really a slick system and it's really universally usable for people that are just getting involved or people that have been deploying servers for years. They can get a lot of traction with their interface. Plus, they wrap it all up with a great, well-documented API that you can start writing against right now. They have high-performance CPUs, too, uh, that give you essentially metal performance. That's what I've set up for our PeerTube instance that we're working on, is it's a super high CPU, really two blazing fast cores, that way we can transcode video in the background. They also have more flexible droplets where you can mix and match resources. My favorite system, the one I deploy for things like NextCloud or Mumble or a Mind server is three cents an hour it's great it's three cents an hour and you get ssds for everything plenty of transfer fast cpus they've got cloud firewalls monitoring and alerting it's a fantastic service and you can get a 100 100 credit 100 a 100 credit yeah a 100 credit When you go to DigitalOcean, when you go to do.co slash, yeah, no, I know, $100, I know, it's true, do.co slash coder, and uh, sign up with a new account, you can use $100 for 60 days. They also have a bunch of great tutorials on uh, that Kubernetes we were just talking about, if you want to read up more on that, and messing around with Nginx, Let's Encrypt, and FreeBSD, a guide on that, all over in the DigitalOcean community section. That's do.co slash coder. Now, I thought maybe we'd wrap up, unless, uh, unless you want to go in a different direction, we could wrap up with why people seem to be leaving jobs in the IT and engineering field. And uh, this is a report that actually DigitalOcean uh, commissioned. So speaking of our fine sponsor, um, they found that there was lots of varied reasons, but when they were able to kind of distill it down, they had seven sort of categories as to why people were leaving uh, software engineering, just general engineering jobs. Um, so let's start with number seven. The number seven reason why staff was leaving is because they were offered better benefits elsewhere. So that was uh, 16% of the respondents. Number six, 18% of the respondents said there were just too many stagnant projects, sort of like a dark cloud over their head. That was why 18% left engineering positions. Number five, 19%, I wanted more freedom to work remotely. Number five in the top seven list, almost right there in the middle, is because people wanted to work remotely and so they left for opportunities that allowed them to work remotely. That's a decent amount. Number four, 21% of respondents, I was offered higher compensation elsewhere. So number four is making more money. All about that money. Number three, 31%. The company used inefficient or obsolete technologies. That's the number three reason. Before. Pay. 31% were just pissed about old tech. Number two, leadership and management was bad. 47%. 47% of respondents. The number two reason leadership and management were bad. And I can tell you from my personal experience, I left what I thought was going to be a dream job because a new boss came in and he was a total. I had issues. And then uh, I didn't take a job at Microsoft because of the amount of management, uh, if that makes sense. But I was offered a job at Microsoft years and years and years ago, and it was for just a small group of people, like six or seven people. And I I had to be interviewed by three managers, three managers for a team of seven. This is years ago. But I thought, no way. I'm not gonna have three bosses for a team of seven. I would have been the eighth person. No way. So I declined it. So I've I've left a job because of a bad boss, and it was a real shame because he replaced a gal that was, uh, she wasn't technically the most up to date, but man, she had great judgment. She was just a great boss. She trusted uh, me at the right times and asked questions at the right times. And they replaced her with this, this this buffoon from Boeing. It was just the worst. All right, the number one reason. People leave engineering positions. 49% of respondents, the number one reason, the position lacked opportunities for growth and development. They hit a wall and they don't want to go into management. I think it's interesting. The top two reasons people leave engineering positions is no growth and development opportunity and bad bosses. It's not until you get to number four on the list that it's money that comes in. And I think this is extremely telling. And I think it highlights the fact that talent prioritize jobs that offer opportunities for growth, where there's strong, good leadership, and they're staying up to date on new technology rather than those who only offer a lot of money. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, in my own personal experience, that's definitely been the truth, Right. Um, I, I So one thing I I do wonder is, how does remote work play into all this? I know it's relatively- So
0: it was uh, number five on the list, 19%. Five. relatively low yeah. on that list. It was in there, but it was after pay, but just after pay, but above healthcare. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's above health benefits. <laughs> oh man, America. Well, I
1: also imagine, because it, this is gonna be very annoying for European and Canadian listeners, but the way employing someone works in the United States is state by state. So if you are a company based in, let's say, Florida, you want to employ someone in, let's say, Massachusetts, that can incur all kinds of costs and taxes you don't know about in yeah. Massachusetts. Yep. So you're likely to make them a contractor, and therefore cannot get yes. benefits by law. Yes. Uh, so that's just a dumb thing where we should just have a federal employment system, and it doesn't matter what state you're in. There should be no such thing as state payroll tax. But anyway, I don't know. I mean. I'm not surprised at the order. Mm. Were, were, you, were you were you particularly surprised?
0: Maybe at the lower end, uh, but bad boss and nowhere to go do, doesn't surprise me as the top reasons.
1: Yeah, because I think you know what I think. One of the things is like engineers want to be doing stuff that's cool, right? It's, it's the it reason matters. why don't I just right? Why don't I just spend all my time pounding out iOS apps because it got super
0: boring? Yeah. You want your work to be somewhat important, to be working towards something, you know, to be achieving. Like, you're committing so much of your life to a job. Um, We don't live for very long. And when we get on the other end of this, we'll look back and go, wow, I spent the majority of my life working. And I think that gnaws away at us a little bit. So you want it to be, in the end, you want to be able to look back and go, yeah, but look what I built. I did something.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I felt about, like, high-end iOS development afterwards. Like, wow, I trimmed the last pixel off that circle. (laughs) And it took <laughs> six man hours, right? Mm. Yeah, so I, I do wonder though, in a world where people didn't have to worry about benefits as much, would remote working not rocket up the chart? So I do feel, feel like there's a big, mm. if remote working, you're less likely to have benefits. At least mm. that's what I've seen in just like kind of surveying other companies and saying like, what do they do with their remote
0: workers? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I feel like the opposite could be true in the sense that if you're mostly a remote work staff, then you're not paying for expensive desks and building space. So you can afford to give a little more on the benefits so that could, you know, some businesses. I, I, I guess because my experience has been um, a couple of remote gigs I had years ago. If I was, it was just really kind of if I wanted to be an employee or not. And if I wanted to be an employee, they would give me full benefits. And, um, mm. you know, I, I, everybody that works remotely at Linux Academy as an employee, which is I think 40%, uh, has full benefits. So they have, yeah, they're all, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the the reason I'm I'm thinking that way is I looked into getting a uh, a uh, healthcare for the mad potter. Mm-hmm. Oh jeez. Oh my god. Oh. Because of well because the healthcare exchange works on a state by state basis. It was going to be a situation it, it will, it depends where you live. Because owners don't count as
0: employees. Right. So. Yeah, they went off exchange. Yeah, I do know that. Right. I, you have to do
1: like it So maybe maybe the actual problem I'm addressing is that all this crap should be federal. Right? Like yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. I'm. I guess. I guess the real question I'm asking for the fourth time is: Is our somewhat antiquated locality-based payroll system screwing up remote working and slowing it down? Yeah, right. Our territorial-based system in the United States, where, like, because I, I, I could in a theoretical world. See a company that's small saying we don't want to hire someone in New York City, because if we do that and make them an employee, now we're subject to New York taxes.
0: Right. That's what I've been saying for a really long time. I think since the beginning of the show almost that it's going to be uh, an economy of contractors, chicken farmers. Really?
1: Right. Well, that was our last our step. Last yeah. 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 Or it's, you, I mean. But how, but, how like, else do
0: you solve that when you want to have more remote work? When bandwidth what do you mean political? how else do you solve
1: it? There's a bunch of old dudes and gals in, in, in Virginia and D.C. that could just like change the law sure. tomorrow.
0: Or I could move to Canada right. or any other Western nation. Sure. I, I mean, I acknowledge that. But as is, it seems like nothing changes. So it seems like the. 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 The immediate action that business can take is just to contract all these people. Well, 1099
1: amount, right? Because if, if they don't, if they don't report to your office, it's really easy to say they're a
0: contract. Or have enough money to buy a premium insurance package that is a commercial offering that you can offer to all of your employees from one spe- which is extremely expensive. Extremely
1: expensive. And you have to be already at a certain yes. scale to, yep. act, to even yep. like think about
0: it. We couldn't, that. we couldn't, like JB, like I couldn't like come up with I like we had talked about could we make an insurance package? program for Jupiter Broadcasting because right. Angela and I need insurance and everybody else needs insurance. So we could offer it to hosts and no, can't do it. Can't do it. Got to have a certain set amount of employees, all those revenue yeah. requirements. It's so I don't have health insurance. I just don't have it anymore. I just don't have health yeah, this whole year. I, 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 haven't, I, I, I haven't had it.
1: Yeah. I, I just buy it for myself off the exchange personally, but it's, yeah, we ran into the same situation with Mad Botter where we have a few more people than JB, but because we're distributed it it doesn't matter. Mm. We had to be not enough of us who didn't own uh, shares in the company were weren't weren't the same place. Oops, right. Sorry. No.
0: I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Well. So just a couple of last notes. Uh, and I've heard this a lot. You've probably heard this too. Is uh, when surveyed. So they also did surveys of companies, and uh, the CIOs said that the number one obstacle to obtaining their objectives that they've either committed to or been placed on them. Is talent and retaining talent. Forty-four percent of companies said they struggled to retain IT talent, and uh, I've definitely heard that. I've heard a lot of horror stories about that, and uh, it's it's yeah, more I so when it's competitive out there. Personally,
1: had issues with that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and that's another thing where I do wonder how remote work comes into that because do you run the risk of having like a mercenary culture but I I, I don't think it's true like Linux Academy has it together and
0: uh, a lot of other companies seems like GitLab there. did too right and I know yes, uh, it,
1: yeah it definitely has it together over there yeah.
0: and I know DigitalOcean has a fair amount of remote workers but they're more centralized than like they only have like a handful of remote work but you know it's because they're a decent sized company I think it's still 30-40 yeah. people um hmm. Yeah, interesting. It uh it is it is right now it seems to be a at least here in the Pacific Northwest a fairly competitive market for uh employees and employers are having to kind of hustle a little bit in some areas. So that's good depending on, you know, depending on the career track that you're in. Amazon and Microsoft success is is breeding success in the job market here. Uh and so there are horror stories and it just happens and I've I I think I've been in the position too and it's just kind of it's irony of ironies but um you're, getting, you're, you're going, you're applying for a job and the talks are going pretty well. You may be even getting the salary and maybe even start date and stuff like that. And another offer comes along and it's a little bit further out, but it's a total possibility. It's just, you got to wait a little bit. Uh, I've been in that position and I'm hearing more and more people that are in that position. It's a good place to be for the employee, but it's rough for the employer. The hardest thing you can do and the most expensive thing you can do is bring on new staff. And so when it's really competitive out there, uh, yeah, I think it is the number one business challenge, actually. I think it truly is. A, 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 and oh, so, for sure. Yeah, and you can't just take, ask it, people to take a loyalty pledge or something. That's, you can't do that.
1: So. <laughs> well, I don't know. It works for our <laughs> <fifth and final.
0: laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was the – yeah, I don't think that's a – He's a jackass. It's probably not the way to go, though, because uh, – uh, there's uh, that whole fair work clause. But, anyways, we'll put links to the stuff we talked about in the show notes today. We'll see if maybe Jerome, 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 maybe he'll be able to join us from Uno. It looks like a really cool project. And it's open source software too, which is always pretty great. And um, yeah, anything else we want to cover on this week's episode, Mr. Dominic?
1: Uh no, don't hate me because I'm running Windows 10. I'm doing it for the money.
0: Yeah, and remember if you shake it more than three times, you're you're playing with it. You can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. I'm at Chris L A S. Mr. Dominic over there probably has various places he'd like you to follow him. What what do you want to give him? Go me? to go to at Duminuco and Dominicm.com. That's wise. Coder.show for links to everything we talked about. Coder.show slash three sixteen for today's episodes. And coder.show slash subscribe for all the ways to get this here episode. Automatically, It's like chicken farmers in your podcast catcher. I don't know. I had to get a chicken farmer reference in there. Had to, had to. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you right back here next week.